right, what's up everyone? This is the Sons of History Podcast. I am Dustin Bass. And I'm Alan Joaquin. And we are going to get started. Hope you guys enjoyed episode one. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. We discussed the Brat Cat Brat. Huh, I don't think so. Brett Kavanaugh hearing uh, when he was confirmed as well. And we also discussed uh, some information that you may want to know about the whole judiciary system and the Supreme Court system as well. Um, we're going to continue that conversation in this episode, and we're going to talk about the Supreme Court justice and why they get, I guess, quote unquote, although there is no quote, of a lifetime term. Well, this is one of the things that is not brought up in the Constitution. Right. Now, there is a discussion of it in the Federalist Papers, mm-hmm. and you know there are a few things in the Constitution that don't talk about the Supreme Court. Uh, I was actually, when I read the Constitution, I think it was Article 3, mm-hmm. uh, I was amazed at how little of it is brought up, and I guess that was because they wanted the framers to, you know, as time went on, that they could add stuff. Uh, they, they didn't want to restrain the framers on how the Supreme Court was to be run. For instance, how many justices they're supposed to be in for how long their tenure would be. So, But I do believe Federalist Papers did touch up on some of that. And, you know, it's interesting because we we were talking about, well, we mentioned it in episode one, how uh, Alexander Hamilton in one of the Federalist Papers says that the judiciary system is the weakest of all three departments. And it's interesting that um, Article 3 is really the smallest article of the first three articles, right? And they, they sort of go on and on about Article One, which is the legislative branch, um, but I think you you know you sort of hit it right on the head with they wanted it to sort of expand and grow and be under the control of the people, and the people will elect you know the the right representatives, the the House and the Senate to make certain rules and regulations, and then you know the judiciary system will have their say. Um, so I know, yeah. I know in Article Three it only mentions the Supreme Court. Anything beyond that, the uh, inferior courts, uh, Congress would be the ones that uh, that create uh, the number of courts. I guess they figured with a manifest destiny that many foresaw that uh, the country was going to grow and that we would, if we expanded our territory, at the time we were already expanding into the uh, what was then called the Northwest, which was everything east of the Mississippi, they figured that you know, we're going to be adding more territory to our country. Or west of the Mississippi. West of the Mississippi. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we would uh, end up needing more and more courts. So right. the uh, Constitution does not bring up the inferior courts. That's up to Congress to decide. Right. And the, what, But what it does say, I mean, it does mention the inferior courts at the very beginning in Section 1 where it says, but this is about um, sort of how long they can hold their offices, although it's pretty obscure, um, vague. It says the judges, both of the Supreme and inferior court, shall hold their offices during good behavior. Also another pretty vague term. Um, And good behavior is like, okay, well, uh, it's sort of, I guess you'd almost say subjective according to who is running Congress. Um, Well, my understanding is that in order to remove a judge, they have to be impeached. mm -hmm. Okay. Now, do you think that the reason why they made it so difficult to remove a judge is because if a judge comes up with a very unpopular decision, they don't want Congress just saying, hey, we need to get rid of this judge. Right. Yeah. And especially if you have a president who has who is in the same party as 
the majority of Congress. Um, you never want those. You never want really two branches of government working hand in hand. They're all. That's why they created um, the separation of powers, so that wouldn't be the case. So yeah, it's very dangerous, and the impeachment process makes it very difficult to remove anybody of power um, out of office. Uh, so, but there was one impeachment that we have had in our in our history, and that happened in 1805 with Samuel Chase. Um, he was impeached, but then he was acquitted of all of all the charges. Um, but it's interesting to note that a lot of people probably think that uh, lifetime term limits, and everybody's like, why do Supreme Court justices have lifetime term limits? Well, it's not just them, it's, it's all federal judges, um, and of which there are a lot, of, a lot of courts. There are actually 13 appellate courts in the U.S., 94 federal judicial courts or judicial districts, and they're organized into 12 regional circuits. So there are a lot, and like you said, the manifest destiny, um, the growth, you, they just knew that, hey, we're gonna have to have a lot of judges and it's going to have to grow, which is why sort of vague language and uh, the restrictive language. If you think about it also, uh, many of our senators and uh, uh, members of the House of Representatives, as long as they keep getting reelected, they have a lifetime appointment. Correct. Although I won't use yeah. the word appointment. But um, as long as the people, lifetime term, yeah, yeah, as long as the people consent to having certain senators like John McCain or Edward Kennedy, mm -hmm. they are perpetually reelected. Right, and as yeah, as long as as their constituents approve of how they're doing, they will be in there for for the lifetime. Um, now, Supreme Court. They get together and actually they just started their, their newest session. Uh, they start the first Monday of every October um, and they go till about June or July of that following year. So they're in uh, session for quite some time. Um, now they usually take on about 100 to 150 cases, uh, although they're about, usually about now, they're about 7,000 cases that are sort of presented to them for review, but they only accept about 100 to 150. Um, that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of cases um, to go over. Um, do you think that's sort of overkill or, you know, what do you think? Well, I mean, if uh, they're only taking 10%, you know, there's a lot of instances where things need to be judged by the Supreme Court. Um, I know of many important cases that were sent to them but they kicked it back to the lower courts they right. either they don't want to touch it it's too much of a hot potato mm -hmm. um, i don't know if it's because they don't have enough time but i mean I, realistically unless we want to add more supreme courts i, I don't think anything is going to change and i do believe that there was the thought of having another supreme court but the founders decided they were against it they just wanted one supreme court in fact there was even the thought process, which was rejected, that all court cases in the United States would go through the Supreme Court. But that would, that there's absolutely no way, realistically, there's no way that that could be, uh, that that's not realistic. Yeah, no, it would just create a logjam, and then you, would, you wouldn't get anything, you know, any decisions being, being put out, except maybe at a, at a trickle. Um, which is why it's so important that all the lower courts stick by they know the laws, they, they know the precedents that are put into place and, and they make the right decisions. Um, 
And, but I mean, regardless, we, we live in a country of laws. We live in a country of continual uh, court sessions. So there are always going to be new things being put up every, every single year. And it's a good thing that we have a federal system because we have states with their own courts mm-hmm. and they deal with state laws. I, I can't imagine every single crime that is committed would have to go through a federal court. Right. Um, even if it's like just a, a petty crime that is uh, under the jurisdiction of a state. Yeah, I mean, and even in those state courts, those district courts, like it is, it, it can turn into a bit of a logjam, especially if you live in a big city. I mean, there's so much going on. Like we live in Houston and they have those problems. Like there are just so many court cases um, to where you just, you almost can't take care of all of them. Um, and so you have a lot of people who just, you know, take plea bargains or different things like that. And sometimes that's, that's not the best benefit, although that's a, that's a paper, I mean, that's a rabbit trail, but sometimes that's not the best benefit for the citizen, you know, where they feel like, well, um, I got to take a plea bargain type thing. But anyways, that's another story. Uh, one of the, th- I did listen to Stephen Breyer. He's one of the associate justices on the Supreme court. Really enjoy listening to to his his conversations and and his talks, uh, and he was he was a Clinton uh, appointee and he was uh, put into office in ninety four. He was confirmed in ninety four, eighty seven to nine, um, and he was talking and he was saying you know he's like me and the the other justices about ninety to ninety five percent of the court, the cases that come we pretty much all agree on. Like we agree, he's like, it's just the ones that the media will take take out and be like, oh, it's a split you know, decision or they're not gonna, he's like, that's about four, maybe 5% of what we, you know, sort of come at a crossroads on, right? And it's pretty interesting to, to know like, that in a vast majority of the decisions that, or the cases that come before the Supreme Court, they typically agree um, almost unanimously on, or a large majority on, uh, well, which know, is which is nice to know. Um, the ju- the justices don't caucus. There's not a conservative caucus and a liberal caucus. Yeah. They the nine of them all work together all the time, and I think that has a lot to do with it. So uh, they don't go in there with the philosophy that I have to represent my constituents. They're there to do what the constitution says the the law the, the the cases come before them and now they're supposed to go strictly by what the constitution says right i i have heard uh, a couple of justices say well you know we need to look outside our country look at what europe is doing um not necessarily followed by what the constitution says but let's take a look at what international law states mm-hmm and I know that uh, many people do have a problem with that because they, you know, there is a judicial philosophy, the originalists who say we need, the Supreme Court needs to interpret the law. I think that's, yeah. if I'm saying it correctly, instead of legislating from the bench, they have to go by, here's the case before us. What does the Constitution have yeah. to say about it? Yeah. And and they're restricted. And that that's what, that's what they have to go with. And look, the thing is, is... Whoever, whoever, whatever justice is saying, hey, we need to look outside of our of our land, of our country, and, and find laws, I think that's a stupid statement. However, 
if you're going to look outside and see what Europe's doing or see what, you know, Africa's doing or whatever, or Asia's doing, if you look at their laws, that needs to be the legislative branch that's coming up with that, not the judicial. So when it comes to creating laws and, and new laws and like, hey, if something's happening and working in South America that we think may work here and our, the people of America think, hey, that's a good idea and, the, you know, the representatives will, will push it and the, the Senate will push it, okay, then do that. But don't have you, don't skip the major step, which is Congress, you know, judicial. And that's, that's one of the dangers that we've gotten into is that now the judicial branch is playing too big of a role as almost like the legislative, like it's another arm of the legislative branch, which is super dangerous. Like, because our legislative branch doesn't want to tackle like hard, hard issues. Like you freaking need to do it. Okay. Because you quit getting this like, okay, well, I got to get re get re-election out of your head. Get what is best for the country in your head and let that be your guiding light. And you know what? If, if you don't get elected, at least you have your conscience that you can say, hey, at least I did what I, I felt was right. And that should be that should be the end goal for, for every politician that, that jumps in, House of Representatives, Senators, it doesn't matter. Um, but no, you can't just pass the buck onto the judiciary because that becomes super dangerous because then, you know, leave it into like the hands of, a, of just a few people to administer this sweeping law for an entire country. And that's not what the founding fathers had in mind. No, and you know, the, the funny thing is, is that Anthony Kennedy, who just retired, mm -hmm. was practically by fiat running the country in the minds of many because the four liberal justices always voted, on the big cases, mind you, Yeah, the four liberal justices always voted one way, the four conservative voted another way. Yeah. And it was Anthony Kennedy who pretty much would decide. He was the deciding factor. Yeah, he was a swing vote. He was a swing vote. And it seemed that in many instances, people were thinking where Kennedy goes is where the country is going to go. Right. And that's and I, dangerous. I mean, it's like giving the power strictly to the executive. Right? And, and I, well, I think this is why the Supreme Court is now being considered as a weapon, right? Because you will have. I'll give you an example. Uh, Obamacare. When Obamacare was being debated, there were many conservatives who said, "Fine, let it pass, but the Supreme Court will go in there and they'll make it unconstitutional." Right. Well, it gets to the Supreme Court, and the, ironically, Anthony Kennedy sided with the conservatives. It was. John Roberts, the Chief Justice, mm -hmm. who sided with the liberals right. and stated, okay, this can be looked at as a tax, so therefore it is constitutional and Obamacare is now the uh, law of the land. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then obviously the executive jumped in and said, you know what, if it's a tax, then you know, we can just remove the referendum, right? Isn't that how that worked out? It, it, it was debated. Yeah. Um, but the thing that the thing that got to me was that so many people yeah it's passing the buck it is passing yeah. the buck and you know the supreme court is also known for punting back to the lower courts the best yeah. example was uh, uh bush versus gore there were many uh, that, uh when the florida supreme court ruled a certain way the republicans would kick it to the supreme court the supreme court would vote a certain way, but then they would kick it back to the Florida Supreme Court and it said, you need to explain yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think 
and I can say this accurately, that the Supreme Court didn't want to be seen as the party that decided the election. Right. They wanted to keep that in Florida. Yeah. And it, they reluctantly, they had, eventually there was the five to four decision, yeah. uh, which they did not want to go. And a lot of people started saying, well, you know, the Supreme Court was the ones that put Bush in power. Mm-hmm. Now, I think this had an effect on John Roberts. John Roberts didn't want people saying that the Roberts court destroyed Obamacare. Mm-hmm. And I believe it did have an influence on him. He he. He wanted to keep things away from... I don't make the Supreme Court controversial. The Supreme Court didn't kill Obamacare. Obamacare became the law of the land because Congress passed, passed it. it. Yeah. And President Obama signed it. Right. So... Yeah, I mean, it, you, the, the Supreme Court has to be this... Um, almost this inver- invisible, you know, just entity that only comes out when necessary. Um, and I think we've, we've sort of jumped away from that. One, it's interesting that you, you mentioned Article 3 is, doesn't really give a whole lot of, you know, here's what's going on within the judiciary. And probably the most, the, the most powerful thing that the judiciary or the Supreme Court does is judicial review, which is not in the Constitution. Right? The ability to declare... And this is, um, I'm quoting this, the, the ability to declare a legislative or executive act in violation of the Constitution is not found within the text of the Constitution itself. Uh, it's actually established in the case of Marbury versus Madison, which was 1803. So it's a long time ago, but that put into place um, the judicial review, which is extremely important, um, which is sort of what you're reference, referencing with Obamacare, how it got passed. Um, it went to judicial review, and it got passed as okay. It's sort of like a tax, so it's constitutional, so it's it's good to go. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the the more, if not the most powerful thing that uh, the Supreme Court does, and it's not even in the Constitution. But back to our topic of judges for life, it's not just the Supreme Court judges. These are federal. These are also federal judges um, that are across the land in the appellate courts and. Um, the, the district courts. Uh, so there's like 94 and there are like 13 appellates. So, um, and they were why? appointed because they, they realized that if they were, say, elected, well, if, he, if a judge decides on a very unpopular case that's against what the people wanted, or as some would say the mob, mm-hmm. uh, they don't want that to influence the judge's decision. They want the judge to look at it, look at the case, what does the Constitution say, Okay, this is going to be unpopular, but you know what? This is this is what the Constitution says. So therefore, yeah. here's where my judgment goes. Now they are not influenced by the electorate. Yeah. It's almost like the founding fathers knew about Twitter before Twitter became Twitter. It's like, yeah, everybody, you're going to hear all the voices, you know, and you have to know that that the voices of of the people and Twitter and all this stuff, social media. Has, a, has some sway with uh, legislatures because they're continually up for re-election. I, I think you know President Trump's a big fan of uh, Twitter, so he's, oh, he's yeah. on that he's, stuff again all, all day. He uses all day, every day. Bit. Yeah. Uh, but Hamilton actually addresses um, the, the lifetime term or, you know, lifetime term limit for, for these judges in Federalist Paper 78 when he says, 
nothing can contribute so much to its firmness and independence, and this is talking about the Supreme Court, as permanency in office. This quality may therefore be justly regarded as an indispensable ingredient in its constitution and in a great measure as a citadel of the public justice and public security. So it's that it's that independent spirit that that he suggests like they have to be independent. They and the, the best way to do that is by giving them, you know, a lifetime a lifetime term. He also went on to say, if then the courts of justice are to be considered as the bulwarks of a limited constitution, I hope people understand that limited constitution, against legislative encroachments. Because let, and they, he says legislative encroachments because that was the main fear, that the legislative branch, if there was any branch that was going to be too powerful, it would be the legislative branch. And we'll hit on that on, a, on another episode, uh, which would be hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, this consideration will afford a strong argument for the permanent tenure of judicial offices, since nothing will contribute so much as this to that independent spirit, as I mentioned, in the judges, which must be essential to the faithful performance of so arduous a duty. So yeah, he's Hamilton saying like they need that, so they need a lifetime term so that they can do it without being swayed any other way. They can have that independent spirit. What do you think? Well, I... I agree with you on that one. Um, now, there is the concern about the lifetime appointments in that, again, they could be used as a weapon. And I'll give you an example. Uh, John Adams lost the uh, 1800 election to Thomas Jefferson. Mm -hmm. uh, Adams decided prior to leaving office that he was going to appoint many, many Federalists into the judiciary yeah. to thwart the... Uh, uh, I think they were called the Republican Democrats or Democratic Republicans. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But they're Republicans, basically. That's what they called themselves at the time. Um, the Republicans were swept into office when uh, Jefferson was elected. And Adams wanted to use the judiciary to thwart Jefferson. Yeah. And this is where the Marbury versus Madison case came in. John Marshall, who was a Federalist, and he, was, he did work with Adams. He was in the Adams administration. Uh, became the Supreme Court just, uh, Chief Justice, mm -hmm. and that is also the first case where you can use a, a judicial or a, a philosophy to thwart the will of the legislature yeah. and the uh, and the president, the executive branch. So I, I, you know, that that's something a lot of people aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. That even back in the day, Adams saw the power of the judiciary. Yeah, yeah, and and. A lot of these things that are that are, that, that are happening today, or that have happened recently over the past, you know, few decades, it's it's not super new. It's not super new. Like whenever there's power to be had, you typically those who are trying to get it will change things according to that will work best for them. Um, how old is too old? I mean, okay, you've got you've got Ginsburg who's 85. You've got Breyer who is 80. Um, and you've got Clarence Thomas, who is, you know, he's on his way to 80. He's in his 70s. I mean, how old do you think is, is too old to be a Supreme Court justice? You know, you have... Uh, or a judge in general. Well, you have, you have presidents and senators. You have presidents that have gone into their 80s. Uh, you have senators. I think Thurman Thomas was 100 years old and he still served. Um, so as long as they still have uh, their faculties, if that's the right word... Yeah. 
uh, I think they could serve as long as they want. But I, I do know that after a certain age, um, the prevalence of dementia starts coming in, and uh, you know you don't know if the if the justice is suffering from it. Mm-hmm. Do they need to have tests? Yeah. Um, I mean, how when do people start getting dementia? I, I think that should be. A, yeah. Now that is not in the Constitution, and I don't even know if the uh, Federalist Papers touch on that. But, but you know, back in the day, people didn't even know what dementia was. Yeah. Oh, he's just getting old. And, and Hamilton does touch on this a little bit in Federalist Paper seventy nine because he compares what the Constitution's wanting to do with the Constitution of New York. Okay. And he says the Constitution of New York has made age a, a criteria, right? Um, a criterion of inability is what he calls it. He said, no man can be a judge beyond 60. Um, and so he says, I believe that there are a lot of people who disapprove of this. Um, but he goes on to say the deliberating and comparing faculties, faculties generally preserve their strength much beyond that period of 60 um, in men who survive it. Right now, obviously, old age wasn't you know, a huge factor back in those days. And he said, when in addition to this circumstance, we consider how few there are who outlive the season of intellectual vigor and how improbable it is that any considerable portion of the bench, whether more or less numerous, should be in such a situation at the same time, we shall be ready to conclude that limitations of this sort, of this sort have little to recommend them. Uh, but those are, there are a couple of lines, um, he, and he goes on to say, he's like, uh, he calls it, imaginary danger of a superannuated bench and superannuated meaning antiquated or obsolete because of age right there were a couple of lines that stood out to me in this at the end of federalist paper 79 he says generally preserve their strength much beyond um and you talked about faculties generally preserve their strength much beyond that period um but the question is like but for how long and i think it comes down to um sort of gauging. I mean, that's a super tight-knit group, those justices. Mm-hmm. I think maybe there would probably be some encouragement to that end of saying, hey, Clarence, uh, your mind your mind is going, you know, or hey, you know, Ginsburg, your mind isn't as sharp as it was. You may want to consider stepping down. You know, I think it helps to have that group that you can trust Um and Who, I think who's going to who's going to decide that though? Well, obviously it would be the the individual to decide that, but I think that they trust each other enough, and I think Scalia and Ginsburg that relationship was sort of like this shining, you know, bright and shining relationship of uh, the American populace of you know sort of bipartisanship, right? Where they are polar opposites in the way that they view things, mm-hmm. but they were super close friends. Right. And I think that that plays a huge role um, or could play a huge role in saying, hey, maybe it's time that uh, you step down. And hopefully there's that trust there um, to make that happen. Well, I believe Ginsburg had just made a comment this week that she intends to stay on the Supreme Court well into her 90s to deny Trump a third pick. Mm-hmm. OK, well. Who now? Let's say, let's say that she starts suffering from dementia. Mm-hmm. Who is going to say, you know what? It's time for you to go. Well, I think sometimes maybe it depends. I mean, I don't think anybody can say it. I think it would depend on her behavior in court. You know what I mean? Like, because it says you can be removed 
you know, for bad behavior, or you can only stay for good behavior. Um, and I think if you, if you have dementia and you're seeing, you know, spiders on the wall that are not there in the middle of, you know, a case, you know, that's being presented, I think, you know, that would probably constitute, okay, this person is not with us anymore. Um, instead of being in the chambers of the Supreme Court, they probably need to be in the chambers of, you know, a, a home, like an, like an old folks home. You know what I'm saying? Like they, you, sometimes you got to make those decisions. We got to yeah. make those decisions for our parents someday. So yeah, we got to make that decision sometimes, you know, based on, on the behavior of, of anybody. I, I just wonder if, uh, I mean, the, the deciding factor, wouldn't that be the senators? Uh, because the senators have to impeach. Right. Senators are the ones who, uh, who, who vote on And that's a hard thing. And right. obviously, uh, the, especially now, the party lines are so drawn. Um, yeah, you probably have somebody who, who is suffering you know, terribly. Uh, and I, we keep going back to dementia. But, you know, some, somebody suffering terribly, you may never get them impeached. You would have to be a just step down, you know. Yeah, I, I just and and I'm going to say this for both parties. I think both parties would be guilty of this, but mm -hmm. I can foresee where a justice will say, "I am not quitting until oh yeah someone with my philosophy is is in the president." I know and I David Souter. David Souter felt that way. David Souter, although ironically he was nominated by George H. W. Bush, mm -hmm. um, he and, you know there were two justices recently in, in the last 20 years who were nominated by Republicans. Uh, John Paul Stevens was nominated by Gerald Ford and David Souter was nominated by George H.W. Bush, but they switched their their thinking and became liberal members, liberal members of the court when, um, when they presided. And yeah. they intentionally waited until a Democrat was elected before they retired. Yeah. Yeah, and and their their constituents, I am uh, at least the party constituents, mm -hmm. um, celebrate that, and as as they should. Um, and it's obviously Kennedy waited until a conservative or right. uh, President Trump came into power before they decided, you know, I'm going to call it quits. And there's and there is a belief that maybe Clarence Thomas will maybe if maybe call it quits so that his seat will stay in the conservatives' hands. You never know. Um, Hamilton seems to think that most people die before they lose their prime intellect. He says this in 79. Um, and who knows? Maybe that's, that's one of the things that maybe he's right. Um, you keep your mind busy and, you know, you just keep that prime intellect until, you know, you're dead most of the time. So, I mean, you only got nine to choose from. It's not like, you know, you got the whole population. I did want to bring out a, um, one thing um, is how many can justice is, is a good number and I don't think a lot of people I didn't know this until I, I looked into it as far as like how the numbers have gone back and forth I just run by this real quick uh, the Judiciary Act of 1789 established the first Supreme Court with six justices uh, one chief five associates and then John Adams as you mentioned uh, in Congress changed it to five in 1801 and then Jefferson and Congress changed it back to six and then they changed it to seven in 1807 and then Andrew Jackson in Congress increased it to nine in 1837. And then in 1866, right after the Civil War, uh, it was changed back to seven. And then three years later in 1869, it was changed back to nine, um, requiring at least six to be there for a quorum. And it's remained like that ever since at nine. Now, 
Franklin Roosevelt tried, he threatened to add six new justices into the Supreme Court uh, and six that would go along with his policies so that they could be approved. Um, but that was that was shot down. I don't think it's going to ever change. I think, uh, think nine is, is the I number. think it's going to stay at nine because who's going to change that? Uh, don't, don't two-thirds of the Senate have to agree to increasing or decreasing? I think whichever party is in the White House, mm-hmm. unless you have 68 senators who are in the same party, I don't see a uh, law being passed yeah. And changing the Constitution. Is that even in the Constitution right now? Is there an amendment or is that just a law that states? I think it's just a, a law that, that states. But my, 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 my question is how, how many is, is a good number? Like I almost like the, the even number instead of the odd number because having an you odd, mean number, the odd number. No. You like an odd number? I, no, I think I like the even number. How so? Because. When you have an odd number, it forces you to make a decision. And sometimes a decision is so close, so tight, that really sort of a decision doesn't even need to be made. It should be kicked back to the original court. And that, I mean, that's just, that's just sort of the way that I see it. I think it's fine to have these five, four every once in a while, but sometimes having a split decision is not a bad thing. It sort of, it forces, because whenever you have like a 4-4, it shows, okay, the country is split on this. Um, it's almost like we don't need a winner or loser type of thing. It needs to go back for more deliberation. Let me, tell you, let me tell you why I am against that. Okay. If that is the case, then lawsuits, let's say, let's say you're a liberal. Liberals love the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Yeah. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals almost always votes liberal left so if that's going to be the case they're going to shop for judges let's say there's a challenge to a law they're going to shop for judges where the ninth circuit court of appeals will have uh, jurisdiction knowing it's going to go to them it they're going to vote left it gets kicked to the supreme court the supreme court has a split decision let's say where there's only eight justices it goes four four Okay, well, we already know it's going to go back to the Ninth Circuit, and whatever Ninth Circuit says, that's the way it's going to go. I think that if you have that odd number, then the Supreme Court will be forced to make a decision. You make it even, it's going to be the Court of Appeals who makes the final decision. Every time, if it's split. Well, I mean, Court of Appeals are given power for some reason. Yeah, but again, it's going to be and it shopping would, it would, for... It would stay there... You know, regardless, it, unless it, somebody decides, hey, let's let's put this back up to court. Okay, well, what, what's matter. a conservative court? Would it be the one out of New Orleans? I can't keep up. I, I think the New Orleans one is is more conservative. It's by far more conservative than, say, the Ninth Circuit. But if, if I want to make sure that something passes, I'm going to go. I'm going to go sue in a jurisdiction of of the court that that uh, New Orleans presides over, knowing. That when it gets to the Supreme Court, if it's if it's uh, even, they're going to kick it right back to the uh, Court of Appeals, and boom, I got I win. Well, congratulations. Thank you. All right, and as with every uh, episode that we do on this podcast, we end with a scripture. Uh, this one comes from way back in the Old Testament. Um, Deuteronomy sixteen and eighteen says, 
You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Uh, it's pretty pretty interesting that how they did it back then, how it was prescribed then, sort of how our Constitution prescribed it, and, and our old precedents have prescribed it um, uh, for the American people. So uh, hopefully we can continue... Um, with the righteous judgment from all of our judges and how uh, we get the right ones in place if uh, we have new ones come up. So, anything else you want to add, man? No, I just, I thought of uh, Solomon's judgment and if uh, that would be kind of like our Supreme Court and if uh, each tribe had their own judges and courts, that kind of reminds me of the state courts. So, yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully we won't be cutting any babies in half because uh, <laughs> that would be freaking weird. All right, guys. We will talk to you all later. Um, see you all in the next episode. Have a good one.